0: Hey, it's Mistress Carey, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 41 of the Mistress Carey podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, but they're better known to all of us by now as just DCU. And not only is DCU a great place to do your banking at, but they're also a great place to work. And right now, they are hiring for full and part-time positions. And I know it may be a really unique time to try and visualize yourself at a new job. Trust me, I get it. But at DCU, they're here to help you make the change, along with offering a benefits package that includes, check this out, three weeks vacation, a competitive salary, a generous bonus program, 401k plan with 100% company match up to 7%, plus tuition reimbursement, a student loan payment assistance program, and so much more. So to learn more about DCU and their career opportunities, visit dcu.org slash careers. DCU is proud to be an equal employment opportunity and affirmative action employer. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by MistressCarrie.com. It's the one place you can go to find every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. Every situation report that comes out Monday through Friday that gives you all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. Every after-action report, which features every guest on Cocktails in the War Room, which is my video show, which is live on my Facebook page every Tuesday night at 8.30. All 123 episodes are up there. Plus, you can find my blog, my photo galleries, the events calendar that is full of band's live stream concert info, all of the links to get a hold of me, and of course, the Mistress Carrie online store. Just log on to MistressCarrie.com. Okay, I could not wait for episode 41 of the podcast. Alice Cooper is a legend. He is the first, but not the last, inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the podcast. And he is also my first guest that appeared on the original Muppet Show. And you know I asked Alice Cooper about that. We talked about his new album, Detroit Stories, his band, or should I say bands. He told me some great stories about the Hollywood vampires, the new version, and the old version. We talked about how he balances his career, and he even gave me marriage advice. Yep, that's right. I got marriage advice from Alice Cooper. And we talked a lot about music and radio. I mean, he is a DJ after all. I think you are gonna love this episode. So let's get it started. Allow me to introduce you to the one and only Alice Cooper.
2: And you're listening to Mistress Carrie Hi
1: everybody, this is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters And you're listening to the one, the only Mistress
2: hey, this is David from the band Disturbed. You're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carey.
1: Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed, Miss Whiplash herself, mrs Carey, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to
2: Mistress Carey. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite Mistress Carey. Hey, this
0: is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to
1: Mistress Carey.
2: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm fantastic. How are you?
2: I'm Great, 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 great. I'm in Arizona. It was 85 degrees today.
0: I'm in Boston. It was not.
2: <laughs> I know. I try to rub it into everybody that's not in Arizona.
0: <laughs> Trust me. It, it almost was 50 and it was shockingly warm.
2: No, 50, 50. We would die at 50.
0: <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. In person, I've only ever spoken to you on the phone. So it's nice to see you. Congratulations on the new album.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it was a, um, you know, it was what we were going after. We we wanted to make a real hard rock album. We didn't understand that it was going to actually turn into this uh, until we got to Detroit and started using all Detroit players and, you know, writing all the songs in Detroit. And then we kind of captured all the flavors of Detroit musically, you know, especially using, you know, guys like, you know uh Wayne Kramer on on guitar and you know and uh, Johnny B on drums and and Mark you know we we kind of surrounded ourselves with the best Detroit players and it just everything was live in the studio it was great
0: you and I are both from cities that within 5 minutes of meeting us you know where we're from because yeah. Detroit Boston Chicago New York there seems to be something about those cities that when you're from there it's part of your soul and you want to tell everyone about it.
2: You're right. You know, and Detroit was the literally the butt of the joke for so long. You know, I mean, it was a murder capital for a while. It was the I mean, the mayor. Got caught smoking crack and got reelected. <laughs> OK, so that kind of gives you an idea of Detroit, but it was the only place where the Alice Cooper band fit in. We didn't fit into L.A. We didn't fit into San Francisco or New York or. Boston had Aerosmith, you know, and and uh, Jay Giles and bands like that. But Alice fit right into Detroit uh, with the Stooges and the MC Five, and these bands were all inherently theatrical. Yeah, uh, you know, they the, you know they had their own sort of brand of theater, and, and we that was exactly what we were: in your face rock and roll. You know,
0: what are people missing about Detroit besides obviously the the music? All I know about Detroit is the era of bands you're talking about, Motown and cars.
2: Yeah, and that's what it is. Uh, I think the most people work in factories. You know, they work in the Ford factories, or at least that was the nucleus of the place, or Chrysler or Chevy. And they kind of wanted their bands to sound like the big machines. You know, I think that had, that's, has something to do with it. And they're it's not really a sophisticated area. It's not, you know, it's more like, no BS kind of rock and roll, you know, uh, a band, you know, bands, soft bands just don't go over there. You know, you have to be a band with attitude. Aerosmith would have done great in Detroit because they, they were like a Detroit rock and roll band. They, they were exactly what Detroit was. So, I mean, if you would have told me that Aerosmith was from Detroit, I would have gone. Yeah, I get it. You know, but I mean, all the bands, every, we felt at home there because we fit right in with those guys. And, I had never heard of the Stooges or the MC5 when I first went there, you know. Uh, and then I saw them and I went, oh, my gosh, look at these guys. I mean, this is really something. This is a, this this whole city. I mean, Seeger, Ted Nugent, you know, uh, Susie Quattro, Brownsville Station. Every band was something was really something to hear.
0: And so you decided to have this album kind of evolve into a, a, a badass love letter kind of to your city. Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, um, I, I'm one, like what you said before. I'm when people say, where are you from? I say Detroit and there's a whole respect there in the music thing about Detroit. There's something about that. That's, you know, ground. It's right on the ground. And, uh, and I, I think that that's the same thing though with Boston, you know, I know a lot of Boston bands and when they say they're from Boston, Oh yeah, that's respect. You get that, you know, um,
0: And people either understand it or they don't. And if they don't get it, they just think you're a jerk.
2: Yeah, well, either that or they, you know, you you just kind of bring up, by the way, did you know who came from here? And then you read the list and that's pretty impressive, you know. Um, But, you know, the thing I loved about Detroit was the fact that Motown and rock and roll existed, coexisted very well together. We would be up on stage, you know, uh, it would be the us and the Stooges and the who, You know, and you'd look down in the audience and there would be Smokey Robinson and there would be one of the Supremes and there would be Stevie Wonder. And there'd be, you know, all these Motown bands would come down and see the rock bands because it was just music. There was no color thing involved. We would go see a soul review and we fit right in. You know, nobody looked at long haired white guys and went, hey, what are you doing here? They would just go, yeah, it's music.
0: It used to be for music fans that your favorite artist or the bands you listen to defined you. It was a uniform you wore. And it's so funny to hear the artists talk about behind the scenes that they were all hanging out together, even though the fan bases could, could be so separated based on the badge of honor you wore with your favorite artist
2: right. You know, if you were a Stooges fan, then you weren't probably a big MC5 fan or, you know, but but in Detroit, everybody was kind of living, let live. The bands, you know, I mean, after every show, there was a party, either the party was at the Amboy Duke's house or it was at our house or Susie Cuatro's or whatever. But that was every single week. I mean, there was never no such thing as no party that would be unheard of, you know, and, and everybody was kind of, you know, promoting everybody else. You know, I was proud of the Stooges. I was proud of the uh, Bob Seeger because they were from Detroit, you know, so I promoted them. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a competition where we were at each other's throats at all in the least bit, but that's, again, that's Midwest. That's a Midwest kind of family thing.
0: Did you ever see Iggy pop with a t-shirt on ever?
2: No, I <laughs> never did. I don't think I ever saw Iggy when he wasn't shirtless and, uh, yeah, I made the big mistake one time. He said, hey, you're going to Germany. Could you pick me up a switchblade? And I went, yeah. You know, I pick him a, a stiletto. Of course, he gets on stage and starts cutting himself with it. And we ended up wrapping him up on a blanket and taking him to the hospital. I said, give me that. You can hurt yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's the craziest party that you found yourself in where you turn around and just this diverse group of people and you're like, what am I doing here?
2: Well, it wasn't It was exactly that. There was a party in the wintertime, and I can't remember whose house it was, where I woke up at four in the morning, and everybody in the party was asleep. Everybody was out. And I woke up, and I looked around, and I went, what happened? Did everybody die? And, I mean, everybody maybe OD'd a little bit that night. And, I mean, I walked outside with just a T-shirt on to walk around in the snow just to get my brain back together. And by the time I got back, people were waking up and I have no idea what happened. (laughs) I don't know how everybody passed out at the same time.
0: You were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame 10 years ago. And every time the nominations come out, there's a huge uproar, especially in the hard rock and metal community that the community feels um disrespected and underrepresented, and yeah. there's the argument between screw the rock hall it doesn't mean anything we don't want to be part of your club and something that I read from d Snyder recently that was like, no, the hell with that, I want them to have to deal with us,
2: yeah, well, I mean I think everybody everybody that's like a d snyder who who deserves it you know I mean d was not just a lead singer he was you know, he, he did some politics there, and he and he was also a spokesman, and he was just an all-around great guy. Um, you know, I mean, Twisted Sister didn't sell a gigantic amount of records. They didn't even make that many, many records, but they were effective. And that part of the Hall of Fame is how much did you affect rock and roll? You know, I mean, that's why bands, you know, that were, were not really, but like Tom Waits, you know, how many records did Tom Waits sell? Well, I went in with him, and I mean, you know, I really respect Tom Waits. I didn't, I didn't respect how many albums he sold. I respected what he brought to rock and roll. So that's kind of what they, they really go on. Um, But there's people to me where I can't understand Burt Bacharach's not in the hall of fame. He wrote as many hits as, as the Beatles. You know, I can't understand why, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my people did get in, you know, Paul Butterfield got in and Laura Nero got in and people like that, that I thought were way on the back burner, but were really, giants in what they were doing you know so yeah i i think iron maiden belongs in i be, I believe judas priest belongs in you know bands that i cannot believe that they've overlooked but i mean there's a nominating committee there's a voting thing and uh, i know who i voted for you know i voted for the ones that i thought were m- most deserving to get in there not how many records they sold or how popular they were but how much they contributed something new to rock and roll or something really valid.
0: I read an article recently that Bob Seger, who you talked about earlier, was surprised that you covered him on this record.
2: Well, he was surprised they covered that song.
0: That's what I mean. Yeah, that it was that song out of everything.
2: I mean, he had so many hits and that's exactly what we didn't want. We didn't want to cover an MC5 song that was a hit. We wanted to cover an MC5 song that was that was an album cut, but it fit what we were doing. I heard uh, Sister Anne, you know, and I went, oh, man, that's us. We can nail this song. We're just going to do this live in the studio with, you know, uh, Bonamassa and, and, and Steve Hunter and Johnny B. I mean, this band is going to kill this song, you know, and I'll play harp on it. That'll be great. I get, finally get to play harp on a song. <laughs> yeah, but same thing with, uh, uh, you know, with Bob. Yeah, he said, why, why would you choose East Side Story? You know, I said, because I was from East Detroit. I said, and it's a good story. I said, this song needs to a shot of adrenaline and let us Cooperize it and put it into a a story form that will really come alive. And uh, and he just said, wow, that's that's amazing. I never thought anybody would ever cover that song.
0: One of the things you also did with this record is you worked with Bob Ezrin again.
2: Well, yeah. Last four albums have been with Bob.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's been a longstanding relationship can you just talk about the importance of the producer in making a record and why he works so well with you and you with him?
2: Well, first of all, for all you young bands out there when you're getting a producer, trust me, you don't know more than him. Okay, why do you have a producer? Because he's going to take your music and put it into a form that can be listenable and something that can actually maybe get on the radio. That's why he's a producer. You know, uh Bob Ezrin did exactly that with us. He did what George Martin did with the Beatles. You know, he took a band that had all these good ideas and good songs, but we didn't know how to put them on record and make them viable. You know, how 18 was 20 minutes long. You know, he took it down to three minutes and kept saying, dumb it down, just keep dumbing it down. And when we got it, the dumbest form of it, it was powerful then. Then it was powerful because the guy's going, I'm 18 and I like it. That was the that was the message. And you couldn't say that with Bohemian Rhapsody. You would had to say it like just as it just got, you know, and that song was powerful because it was simple. You know, um, that's what we had to learn. And we did not have a sound. You know, it was sort of like Bob said, look, when you hear the doors, why do you know it's the doors? Jim Morrison has a sound. Robbie Craig has a sound. Ray Manzarek has a sound. Why do you know it's the Rolling Stones? Mick Jagger's got a sound. Keith Richards got a, he said, what you guys have is a lot of great ideas and a great show and a great characters, but you could be the strawberry alarm clock when I hear it on the radio. Cause I mean, there's no, there's no identification with you. So what we did for six, seven months was nothing but worked on that sound. And Bob ended up, but then when you heard love it to death, you finally went, oh, that's Alice Cooper. You know, that's what that was the that was the real hard part of doing it, it was creating Alice Cooper. What does Dennis's bass sound like? What does Neil's drum sound like? What does Alice's voice sound like? Then you put it all together and stay consistent on that album with that, and now you have a sound. There, there was now a an identification.
0: You brought it up a few times, and because I come from a radio background, the way technology is changing so much and the way that radio as a business has changed so much. The fact that now you're also a radio host, talk about the importance, especially with rock music, that radio plays into that.
2: Okay. Well, I have all my life I've listened to the radio and I totally understand how it's a it's a business. Okay. I understand that. But you can't leave the fun out of it. You can't leave you can't let rock and roll just be these 40 songs. You know, so when I took the radio show, it was with Dick Clark. Dick said, well, if you had a show, what would it be? I said, it would be, I would take it back to 1970 and let the DJ pick the songs. And I would let the DJ talk about thing. Now, the, the thing I had was I knew all the backstage stories. Who doesn't want to hear that? The stories you're never going to hear except for a guy that was there. I mean, you know, the, you know, the Lost weekend, I was the bartender, you know. I mean, so, you know, all the stories, you know, which ones you can tell, you know, which ones that you can't tell. And then there's a million stories about each guy. I mean, well, there's a million stories about Keith Moon alone, you know, (laughs) but I also will, I'll play Led Zeppelin, ACDC and Van Halen. And, you know, of course, those are the bands that are going to get played a lot, but I'm going to play Butterfield. I'm going to play love. I'm going to play them. I'm going to play all these bands that never do get their their radio time. Procol Harem, you know. Uh, there's so many good bands out there that don't get their time. You couldn't have Led Zeppelin without the Yardbirds. I play as many of the Yardbirds as I do Led Zeppelin, and people go, "Wow, I love that new, that Zeppelin song," and I go, "That was the Yardbirds." <laughs> so you see the, yeah, I mean, and you can see where Led Zeppelin came from the Yardbirds, you know. And so I do a little education on it. You know, I let them know, you know, who's who and why.
0: And you have to love it, right? To be on the radio with rock music, it, it has to be part of your soul.
2: Oh, if I was driving down the street and I heard Happenings 10 years time ago by the Yardbirds, I'd go, oh, what? What? Are you kidding me? Or if I heard Stephanie Knows Who by Love or 7 Plus 7 Is or any of those right next to ACDC and, and these great you know radio bands, I would go, man, I'm listening to that radio station because they're going to give me a surprise every once in a while. Maybe a little Frank Zappa here and a little bit of this here that, you know, and, and I find that since I've been doing this, our the stations that we're on around the world, their ratings go like that because we're unique to, to, you know, to, to a computer picking what's going to be played.
0: All of the stories that you're talking about, you know, the 10,000 different Keith Moon stories, is there ever going to come a time when all the stories come out? Do do the do the names you know the names change to protect the innocent kind of thing, or are we better off not knowing? Because I think for a lot of younger people, they have such a hard time imagining a world where everything isn't documented.
2: Yes, yes. And, and, then and there's the, all
0: those stories that are kind of out there somewhere.
2: Well, and the le- you know, and I think kids love the the myth mythology of. You know, and I think everybody loves the mythology of what happened in the 60s and 70s. It was an insane period of time. Uh, When I pick out Keith Moon, it's only because I could tell you 100 stories. And Harry Nilsson could tell you 100 more. And Ringo could tell you 100 different ones because he was that crazy. (laughs) And he was the best drummer of all time. I consider him the best stage drummer ever you know, Keith Moon, he was doing things that other drummers couldn't even think about doing. And he was Keith Moon, but he was certifiably insane (laughs) in a really sweet way. He was the nicest person in the world, but it was like, he'd wear you out in two hours. You'd be worn out hanging with him because it was just, you know, it was like, I always wanted to say, does anybody have any for for Keith?
0: (laughs) To be successful in rock and roll, do you have to kind of ride that line of of genius and insanity to be the legendary rock star like that.
2: It was the great thing about that era. People wanted us to be that. And we were glad to be that for them. They wanted their rock stars to be notorious. They wanted their rock stars to be mysterious. They wanted their rock stars to be in trouble. They wanted their rock stars to, 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 you know, to survive. They, you know, Oh, this happened to him. Yeah. But do you hear the new record? Oh my gosh. He survived that, you know, and they wanted their rock stars to be consistent. You know, when you heard a Beatles album, you went, oh, my gosh, it's better than the last one. How is that possible? You know, you hear the Rolling Stones, you go, geez, 60 years later, they're still rocking as hard and playing as better than they ever have. You know, I think people feel secure. If I put if I say to myself to to in those days when I was in high school, you couldn't be a cream fan and a Hendrix fan. You had to pick one. So I was a Hendrix fan, you know, and you would sit there at lunch and argue about who was better, you know? Well, well yeah, but Jimmy plays better than Clapton. Well, no, Clapton's more classical than Jimmy, da da, da, da you know, but that was great. Look what you're talking about. You're talking about mu- music that you connect to, you know, everybody loved the Beatles. That was easy, you know, but then when you got with the Yardbirds and you got with the who, and you got with the kinks and you got with the, them and the pretty things and all these bands, You really had to kind of pick the band that really affected you. Uh, We were a Yardbirds band.
0: Can you talk about the relationship between rock artists and the fans? Because obviously in the last year, we haven't been able to get together in in that place that is kind of all of our church, that place where we all belong. And everyone misses it so much, but it seems like with a lot of other genres of music, It's not quite as powerful of a of a relationship between artist and fan.
2: Yeah, there's a tribal thing about it that uh, you know. Here, here's the you listen to these albums, you and you get to hear this band once a year. Maybe they come in town, so it's an event. You know, when Alice Cooper's show comes in, it's like Cirque du Soleil. You know, and you go, I can't miss the show because what's he going to do this time? What songs he's going to play? You know what? And I'm the same way. If, if the who come into town, or if the Stones come into town, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's somebody I really like, I go, oh, I can't wait to see the show, you know, because I want to see what they're doing now. I want to see what ACDC is doing now. Oh, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, Guns and Roses, whatever. Uh, we're a big fraternity and a very creative fraternity. And I think that the audience, you know, they want you to be, they want you to be bigger than life. They want you. They want you to be that thing that they are not. And you know, w- when they do meet us, and they realize that we're pretty nice guys and pretty average, you know. <laughs> but I don't play me on stage. I play Alice. Now Alice is my favorite rock star because he's in the third person. You know, I mean, I put his face on his body, and I go up and I play that character. And I really enjoy playing that character. He's really my favorite guy. But when the curtains come down, I leave him up there. I don't want to be him all the time. That would be awful. That would be horrible. You know, McCartney's different. McCartney is McCartney all the time. You know, he is the nicest guy out there. He plays the greatest music. His band is perfect. Mick Jagger's Mick Jagger all the time. But they're not fictitious characters like myself or Bowie. We we created fictitious characters. Well,
0: that's what I was going to ask you about somebody like Bowie or somebody like you. In order to have longevity at all of career with with uh, with that being such an immersive experience for you, you would have to leave Alice on stage to survive as you, right?
2: Absolutely. There was a period of time when I when I would leave when I was just getting that notoriety, and I went, "Wow, I'm going to go to this uh, club tonight." I have to put makeup on? Do I have to carry a snake? Do I have to be? I don't want to let anybody down, you know? And I finally got to the point I couldn't really exist like that anymore. When I got sober, I realized that I was going to separate the two. We were going to have a great relationship because we weren't going to be the same person. I was going to be the guy that I could go shopping, I could go to the movies, I could go, uh, you know, I could go play golf if I wanted to, like that. But that night, when you go to see Alice Cooper, you're going to see Alice Cooper full out. I mean, you're going to see this character, in I mean, in absolute Alice. <laughs> and, and to me, that was the most fun part of the night, looking forward to that, to playing that character. And, and you always surround yourself with the best players, you know, and not just the best players, but people you really like. Like my band, my state, my touring band right now. They are the best of the best. And they're always, they're also best friends. There's never ego trips backstage. There's never somebody complaining about, oh, I didn't get enough solo or I didn't get enough light on me tonight and all that crap. You know, same thing with the vampires. The vampires, we've been together seven years now. There's never been one argument in that band. I've never heard Johnny or Joe or myself ever raise our voice to anybody.
0: Which is because amazing because you're all such huge personalities and so successful in your own right. We respect each other.
2: You know, I respect Johnny. Of course yeah, he's a great actor and he's really great and he's fun. And I've seen all those movies, but I see him as a guitar player and he can play. He's just did an album with Jeff Beck. You know, I mean uh, anybody that thinks he's a, a movie star trying to be a rock star is totally wrong on that. He's a much better rock star. <laughs> and It's in him. He was a a guitar player way before he was an actor. So when he steps on stage with Joe Perry, he can trade leads with Joe. And Joe sits there and goes, yeah, good. You know, and I can totally trust Johnny to take any lead up there. You know, Um, but like I said, we all respect each other so much that nobody would ever argue. It would just be kind of so uncool to argue with the other. We would rather just say, OK, let's try that. And we try it in rehearsal and go, ah, that doesn't work. Okay, let's go on to the next idea. But nobody goes, oh, I never use my ideas. Da, da, da. You know, that's what bands are like. But both of my bands are like best friends. And that makes touring so easy.
0: <laughs> Have you been offered a. Um like a Vegas residency or something, because I feel like the theatrics of everything that you do, they had to have already made you the offer. I mean, they, the Aerosmith got the offer.
2: Uh, And, and I think that that will eventually happen. You know, that will happen because I would love to go into it like a hotel and, and have my own theater where I could, if you, if we had our own theater that didn't have to move every night.
0: Well, that's what I was asking because then you could permanently install things.
2: Absolutely. You could affect every sense. You could have smell. You could have things coming down where people get touched by things. You could get, you know, you know a total sensory show and and rig the whole show up the hell's a popping, you know, where some certain people have shockers in their seats, <laughs> things like that. I mean, it would be so much fun to, to do that. Do welcome to my nightmare, but really make it a nightmare. Have people, once they get in, make sure that everybody knows the doors are locked and they can't get out. <laughs>
0: A lot of you the know. artists like doing them because it allows them to have some semblance of normalcy in a life. And I'm going to ask you this question. I just got married last year and sure. you've had a ve- thank you. And you've had a very long and successful marriage. And is it because you've been able to separate those things that you leave Alice where you leave them and you are allowed to have a life?
2: Yeah, it's uh, my Cheryl was 18 when she joined the Welcome to My Nightmare show. She was a prima ballerina.
0: I can't believe I'm asking for marriage advice from Alice Cooper, by the way.
2: And and, but but I can tell you some really good things that I've learned. Okay, first of all, if you watch American sitcoms, it's always the woman and the man pitting against each other. Who's going to get the upper hand? who's going to fool the other one who's going to trick the other one into doing what they wanted to do if, that's a horrible recipe for marriage um, you do what you do best let's say you do the finances because you're really good at that and your husband is really good at doing this and that and this everybody does what they do well and then you meet in the middle my wife says marriage is not 100 or not 50-50 50% 50 it's 100% 100% which is very smart. She says. She says marriage is two dysfunctional people that totally for, refuse to give up on each other. <laughs> That's such a great.
1: You it's know, perfect. I mean,
2: I would never give up on her. She'd never give up on me. We've never cheated on each other. I date her. I whisk her away to to cheap motels sometimes in the afternoon. You know, because romance is incredibly important. And the most important thing is never marry the person you love. Marry the person you're in love with. That means they're in love with you and you would never do anything to hurt each other. You would never cheat because it would hurt the other person. You couldn't imagine hurting that person. So if you marry the person you're in love with, you're going to have a happy marriage. You'll have bumps and and you'll work it out, but you wouldn't do anything to hurt that person.
0: With everything that's happened over the last year, um, all of the stresses, the nervousness. I know that, uh, you've talked about being able to be vaccinated and how has that lowered the stress level, not only for you, but your wife and all of your loved ones.
2: You know, my wife and I had it at the same time, both had COVID at the same time. We were out for a month. We were here. At least we had at the same time, we could commiserate in Arizona, which is not a bad place to be. Except that it really does wear you out. It wears you down. It's it's one of those things where yeah, you you do feel like you're every day is a is a ugh, you know another day. But when it goes away, okay, you're you're done with it now. Um, everybody has it on different levels. My kids had it for three days and done. You know, and Cheryl and I had it for a month. But I still said, yeah, I'm full of antibodies right now. But I want the shot, and I want the second shot. I don't want to give this thing a chance to get back. If we all did that, there'd be concerts again.
0: Can't wait for them.
2: Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you go to a concert if the enemy isn't there? You know, I mean, uh, I think we'll get back to having the big concerts again because we've eradicated this thing. But I think, you know, I just talked to England the other day. They said they had inoculated 20 million people already. And I know in Phoenix here, we're doing 10, 20,000 people a day. So I think in six months we're going to be on tour.
0: I hope so. I have one more question for you because I know you have to run. You are the first person I've had on the show that can talk about this experience. I am a diehard lifelong Muppets fan and you were on that show. Can you just please tell me what that experience was like and what Jim Henson was like, because Especially right. now with Disney+, Plus, where people can watch all the old episodes now.
2: It was the most fun thing I ever did. First of all, you spent a week in London. We shot it in London. And um, you're working, again, with Henson and, and Frank Oz and all the originals. Uh, the amazing thing is this. is like I sat there when they offered it to me. It was the number one show in the world. Okay? And I had just established myself as... America's villain ghoul kind of character. And I went, Oh man, I want to do this show, but I don't want to water down Alice Cooper, the character. And I said, who was on the show recently? They said, Christopher Lee, Vincent Price. And I went, I'm in because if those two guys can be on that show, I can be on that show. I don't, I don't measure up to them. So doing the show after about three days of rehearsal, you are talking to the Muppets like they're people. And you don't even realize it. I'm telling Miss Piggy, hey, it would be a great idea if you put your head on my shoulder during this thing. Oh, good idea. Yeah, that's right. We'll do that. You know, and you're literally talking to them and they're responding. You know, Kermit would stick his head in my, my, my dressing room. Uh, everything okay in here? You know, I go, yeah, Kermit. Yeah, great, great. I've got everything I need. Okay. All right. Boom. And you're buying into it. You totally buy into the world of the Muppets. Because they, when they're doing rehearsals and all this, they, they keep it going. They keep it going through the whole thing. <laughs> and I honestly had the most fun ever doing that show. And on my birthday, every birthday, I get a little porcelain Muppet. And that was from 1978, 77. I still get the porcelain
0: Muppet. Oh, you're making my day right now because these, that's my childhood. That's, and they are real to me. And that show is so amazing.
2: So well written. It was so well written, very, very funny. Kids could love it, but it was adult humor. Of course, I I played the the Faust character, trying to get Kermit to sell his soul. It was hysterical. I mean, you know, the writing was terrific on it. And we were, you know, spent most of our time laughing, you know, just trying to keep a straight face while we were doing this, you know. So yeah, I I'm a huge Muppet fan. And I was so glad to see it's back on. To me, I just went, oh, this is great.
0: Alice, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to see you and to catch up with you. Congratulations on the new album. And just thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much. And uh, say hi to Boston for me. Uh, You may thaw out at some point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll say hello, but we would much rather do it in person. So we can't wait for you to get back on the
2: road. Every band I know is like a racehorse at the starting gate. We cannot wait to get back on the road. Every band is sitting there going, now? Now? (laughs) Now? Well,
0: we miss you. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. I mean, really? That was freaking Alice Cooper. The corresponding playlist to this episode totally rocks. And it's linked in the show notes of the episode, along with all of the ways that you can get a hold of Alice Cooper, details on the new album Detroit Stories, and all of my links as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast so you don't miss anything. New full-length episodes every Wednesday. Plus, you get the Situation Report. Monday through Friday, all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And if you don't mind, give me a five-star review and leave a comment so I know what you thought. Huge thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union. Don't forget, they're hiring. Go to dcu.org slash careers to get info. And, of course, mistresscarry.com. Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30, live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Do you think if I asked Alice Cooper really nicely, he would let me see or maybe even touch his collection of Muppet figurines? Okay, I just made that totally awkward. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking. Where next? You earn 10X miles on hotels and rental cars and 5X miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2X miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet?
1: Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.
2: By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE
1: appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything
2: else stress-free, making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How-doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE Appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store online for details.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.